Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bareback Facts. It's been too long. Those of you guys that want to call in or ask questions before at any time during the show, remember that the guest call-in number is 718-508-9883. Today, we're going to be talking about the legend of Cool Claim, particularly one of my favorite legends of all time. This one comes from the misty Isles of Ireland and is perhaps one of the more popular legends that we have today. For those of you who are less familiar with it, this legend has been incredibly influential in terms of uh, not only literature, but also uh, in terms of superheroes, comic books, and the like. Uh, it has appeared uh, in many, many different places. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, there's even a there's there's a lot of things to get to, so we'll we'll get right into it. Cool, Kalane. Uh, is not actually the name of the hero for which the story's origin, uh, for, for the story itself's origin. It's not his birth name. Uh, it's a name that's earned by our hero. Uh, and today we're going to talk about some of the lessons we can learn uh, specifically from this legend. So this legend comes from what is known as the Ulster Cycle. Uh, it is a collection of stories that were discovered in Ulster. Um, and uh, this one in particular comes specifically from the Tainbo Kuleng, which translates roughly to the cattle raid of Cooley. Uh, in it, we are introduced to a young man who is being called Kuklain, uh, but his real name is Satanta, forms all these heroic deeds, uh, and possesses a terrifying battle frenzy, a terrifying power of shape-shifting called the Riestrad, or warp spasm, as translated by some scholars. Uh, he shares a lot of similarities with a lot of different heroes, which is not uh, all that surprising. But let's get started. Uh, like many heroes, Cool Kalein starts out uh, with a rather, rather interesting birth. Uh, now, there are multiple versions of the story of how his birth uh, takes place. There is the discussion of the sort of immaculate conception in which his mother, uh, Dyktine, who is the daughter of a charioteer and king of Ulster named Conchabar Macnessa uh, is basically found uh, pregnant uh, and she begins uh, she basically gives birth out of nowhere nobody knows how it happens it just happens and there's all this scandal uh, about her supposedly having an affair and later on um, you know, a great king shows up and basically says, I'm the, you know, he's my son, and everybody has to respect him. But in the more commonly held story, uh, it is the god Lu, uh, who is this mighty king of the sea and mighty mighty god of, of, of Celtic gods, who appears uh, the night before she is uh, to give birth and tells her that I am the one who has made you pregnant, and you are going to have my son, and you are going to call him Sitanta. Uh, her pregnancy, of course, turns into a, a big scandal either way, as she is betrothed to another man named Swaltham McRoy, uh, and the Ulsterman suspect Contrabar himself of being the father, so she attempts to abort her child, 
Catherine goes to her bed a virgin hole. She then conceives a son who she names Satanta. Now, um, in, the, in another version, uh, Deactine is Conchabar's sister. She disappears from the capital. Uh, everybody goes looking for her. When they, go, when they finally catch up to her, they're lost in the woods. Lou takes them in under the guise of a sort of a kind, kind man. He has a one-night stand with the Ictine, and bing, bang, boom, we get Satanta. Uh, either way you slice it, Satanta is suspected to have had uh, other worldly parentage. Uh, now, the stories of his child ba- childhood are told in a flashback sequence within the Tainbow Kulain. Uh, we don't know a lot about his youth uh, because most of the storytellers are talking more about what he did as a warrior. Uh, as a small child, he begs to be allowed to join the boy troop at Imanmaka. Uh, he's denied this. He sets off on his own, and when he arrives, he runs onto a playing field without first asking for the boy's protection, being unaware of the custom. Now, uh, what we're looking at is a situation in which Kukulain is going to is going to is going to continue to do this. This is one of the big lessons we can take away from this. Cool Kalane is famous for just sort of rushing in to situations. He doesn't think things through. He doesn't pl- he doesn't have a plan. He just assumes things are going to work out because he's he, he's there's something special about him. Everybody else knows it and his entire life everybody said, "Man, there's something special about about Satanta." He he's just he's fast, he's strong. He's, he's, everything just seems to work out for him. Uh, who needs a plan when everything just works out? Uh, Satanta runs onto this plane, and the boys assault him. They attempt to kill him uh, because, again, he, he wanders into their territory uh, without announcing himself for protection. The boys, of course, take this as a challenge. They attempt to kill him. But fortunately for Satanta, he has the Riestrad, this ability uh, to contort himself and to become sort of a, an enraged monster, essentially. Uh, he beats all these boys single-handedly, uh, and Conchabar has to come and stop the fight and clears up the misunderstanding. But no sooner has Satanta put himself under the boys' protection than he chases after them, demanding they put themselves under his protection. So we can see right off the bat that Satanta is not an individual who does a whole lot of thinking. Uh, he's an individual that just assumes because of his brute strength that things are just going to work out. Now, uh, Kulain the smith invites Contrabar to a feast at his house, and before going, Contrabar goes to the playing field to watch the boys play hurling. He's very impressed by Satanta, uh, so much so that he asks him to join him at the feast. Now, Satanta has a game to finish, but promises to follow the king later. Now, according to what we know in this story, uh, Contrabar forgets to tell the host that Kulain is, or that Satanta is going to be coming to this party. He forgets. Uh, and Kulain has a massive, ferocious guard hound uh, that protects his house, and he deploys this hound because he thinks all my guests are here. Nobody's coming over. It's late tonight, uh, so time to let the dog out to uh, guard the house. Now, when Satanta arrives, this enormous hound attacks him, uh, of course, because that's his job. And Satanta, of course, kills it in self-defense. Now, uh, evidently, uh, there are different tellings of how it's done. 
but in most versions, Satanta smashes the dog against a standing stone uh, and kills it. Now, the next day, of course, Kulain is devastated by the loss of his hound because, uh, of course, it's his guard dog. Be a little upset about that. Um, so Satanta promises that for his loss, he's going to compensate him. He will rear him a replacement, and until it is old enough to do the job, he himself will guard Kulain's house. Uh, the druid Cathbed announces that his name henceforth shall be Kulain, which translates to Kulain's hound. Now, uh, it's later uh, in the story as Kulain has been serving the serving this lord for a little while now uh, that he happens to go back to the plane at Iman Maka and overhears Cathbed teaching his pupils. Now, one asks him, one of the students asks the druid what the day is auspicious for, and to this, the druid replies that any warrior who shall take up arms that day will have everlasting fame. Kukulain, immediately hearing that there's a possibility for everlasting fame, only seven years of age at the time, runs to Contrabar and demands arms. Now, despite the fact uh, that Kukulain, you know, is only seven years old, he hears this, and just like a seven-year-old kid, he immediately says, I want to be famous, and just runs off. Now, after going to the king uh, to get these weapons, Contrabar, you know, says, you know, you're only seven years old. You don't need weapons. That's just crazy. Uh, but then again, he begins to get a little afraid of Kukulain, thinking, well, Kukulain did assault all those boys earlier. It was pretty hard to calm him down. Let's just give him what he wants. How much harm can he cause? Uh, so they start giving him these weapons, and each one that he tries out, they all break until Contrabar himself gives his own weapons up. Now, when Cathbad sees this, he grieves because he did not finish his prophecy, uh, because Kukulain didn't stick around to hear the rest. The warrior who took up arms that day would, in fact, be famous, but his life would be short. Now, again, we have another scenario in which Kukulain uh, runs forward headlong into the, you know, headlong into the fray like the heroes we want, like we want our heroes to, right? Uh, but he doesn't stick around. Uh, to get the rest of the information. He, he, he just rushes in. He's not prepared uh, for what's to come. He just assumes everything's going to work out. Um, so we're seeing a trend here, and this is one that's going to continue. Now, um, soon afterwards, in response to a similar prophecy by Caspid, Kukulain demands a chariot from Conchabar, and only the own king's chariot, of course, will withstand him. He sets off on a foray, and just decides that he's going to go on a killing spree. He kills three, the three sons of Nectansin, who had boasted that they'd killed more Ulstermen than there were Ulstermen still living. Uh, so these guys uh, across the way are talking some smack, uh, and Kukulain just isn't going to happen. He rolls in on them, he takes them out, and then comes back and is still in a pretty upset mood. And when he returns, the Ulstermen are afraid that he will kill them as well because he's still in this Riastrad, uh, which he cannot control. This power that he has, he cannot control it. Um, so he, un he once unleashed onto his enemies, there's just no control in him. Uh, and all the, all the men are absolutely terrified in his return. Uh, so... It takes all. It takes Contrabar's wife Mugain, who leads all the women out of the Yemen, and they all show them the breasts. Uh, he averts his eyes, and the Ulstermen are able to wrestle him into a barrel of cold water, which explodes from the heat pouring off of his body. 
They then put them in a second barrel, which boils, and a third, which warms to a pleasant temperature. So they they literally have to cool him off because he's that upset. He is very upset about people talking smack about his about his hometown. He doesn't like it. Now, uh, as Cool Kalane starts to grow, he becomes much more. He becomes a much more attractive young man. Being the young strapping warrior that he is, he's in great shape. Uh, and as he starts to get into the age where he might want to hang out with some ladies, uh, the rest of the Ulstermen begin to get a little worried. You see, when Cool Kalane was a boy, he was quite the handful, you know, running around killing grown men uh, at the age of seven years old uh, just because they talked some smack. Now they're worried about what's going to happen when Cool Kalane decides that he wants a lady friend. Uh, how are we going to stop him? Well, here's the answer. We aren't. Um, so without a wife of his own, he will steal. The, the, the men of Ulster uh, begin to worry that without a wife of his own, Cool Kalane may decide that he's going to steal their wives and ruin their daughters. So they search all over Ireland for a suitable wife for him, but he will have none but Emir, uh, who is the daughter of another lord named Folgar Monarch. Now, uh, Forgal is completely opposed to the match. He doesn't like Cool Kalane. Uh, and he's not feeling the idea of giving his daughter over to this guy who is kind of famous for going crazy and killing people. Uh, he suggests that they should train Cool Kalane in arms with a renowned warrior woman named Scathish in the land of Alba, which is Scotland uh, in this case, hoping the ordeal will be too much for him and he will be killed. So he, he sends him to go train with a famous sword singer uh, to get rid of him, and hopefully, hopefully he'll die uh, in the process, and we won't have to hear about this anymore. But, of course, uh, that's not the way things go down. Um, cool Kalane decides uh, to take up the challenge, being the headstrong young man that he is. He travels to her residence uh, in Dunscape, which is called, which is the Fortress of Shadows on the Isle of Skye. And in the meantime, uh, Forgal offers the woman that Cool Kalane wants to Logad Macnoy, a king of Munster. Uh, but when he hears that Emir loves Cool Kalane, he refuses her hand. Uh, he said, ain't no way, ain't no how, not doing it. Uh, when Cool Kalane gets back, he will kill me. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. Now, in the meantime, Scafash uh, teaches Cool Kalane all the arts of war, as if he wasn't formidable enough. Uh, he gets to learn all these new tricks from this famous warrior. Uh, she teaches him to use this very ferocious weapon called the Gay Bowl, which is a terrible barbed spear. Uh, that one throws with one's foot uh, and has to be cut out of its victim. Uh, his fellow trainees include another warrior named Bertiad, who becomes Cool Kalane's best friend and foster brother. During their time there, they face another powerful warrior named Ife, uh, who is the rival of Scathish and in some versions her twin sister. Uh, knowing her prowess, of course, Scathish fears that Cool Kalane may try and kill her, uh, might, might get might get himself killed, so she attempts to drug him. Uh, but because of Cool Kalane's great strength, uh, it only puts him to sleep for an hour. He only falls asleep for an hour and then shows up to the battle uh, and ends up fighting Ife into sing in single combat. The two end up being evenly matched. Cool Kalane, however, distracts her by calling out that Ife's uh, horse and chariot, the thing she values most in the world, have fallen off a cliff. Uh, so distraught over this, she gets distracted, he seizes her, and then he uh, basically forces her to have his baby uh, and end and her enmity with Scathis. So 
He basically takes her twin sister prisoner, says that you are going to bear me a son, and you're going to call off this whole let's have a feud thing. So once again, we have a situation in which Kukulain doesn't really think things through. It does work out for him in this case, but again, he's going to have this son now. Uh, He leaves uh, I pregnant because he doesn't have time to raise kids, apparently, returns to Scotland fully trained. Uh, but when he re- when he gets back, uh, Forgall still doesn't want Cool Kalane to marry his daughter. Now, because of this, Cool Kalane has decided that uh, he's not going to be asking anymore about whether or not Forgall wants to give up his daughter. He's going to be taking her. Uh, so Cool Kalane storms Forgall's fortress. He kills 24 Forgall's men before they can even defend themselves, uh, abducts her, and steals all of Forgall's money. Uh, so he basically shows up, kills a bunch of his guys, takes his daughter, and then says, and I'll be taking everything you own as well. Now, Forgall himself falls from the ramparts to his death, uh, and now the only now the only real issue is, what are we going to do about this here wedding? So Cool Kalane returns, uh, and, and Contrabar now becomes incredibly afraid. Because Contrabar is king, he has the right of the first night over all marriages, over all marriages of his subjects, and he is afraid of Kukulain's reaction if he exercises it in this case, but is equally afraid of losing his authority if he does not. So he's put in this terrible situation here. Oh, it's just so terrible. Uh, the druid Cathbed suggests a solution. Contrabar will sleep with the mayor on the night of the wedding, but Cathbed will sleep between them. Yeah, so that's going to learn that. Now, eight years later, uh, we fast forward in our story, and Kukulain son named Conla, you remember Ife from the from the uh, incident in Scotland, uh, his son Conla from Ife comes to Ireland in search of his father, but Cool Kalein takes him as an intruder because he forgets to announce himself and kills him. Uh, so Conla's last words to his father as he dies are that they would have carried the flag of Ulster to the gates of Rome and beyond, leaving Cool Kalein grief-stricken, realizing that his son uh, he had just killed his own son. Um, now, there are several other uh, little side quests that he's on. He he has to rescue a Scandinavian princess from being sacrificed to the Fomorian gods. Uh, of course, she falls in love with him and, uh, you know, wants to be with him forever. Um After he uh, after he attempts to, you know, woo her, uh, there's an incident in which there's suspicion, you know, that she sort of arrives undercover as a swan. He hits her with a stone and then saves her life, but having tasted her blood, cannot marry her and gives her to his foster son, Lugade, who goes on to become High King of Ireland. Um, we have the main event. The Cattle Raid of Cooley. Now, this is perhaps the most famous part of the legend involving Cool Kalane. This is this is where Cool Kalane does all the Cool Kalane things. This is where he finally steps up and starts, you know, killing all kinds of guys. So this is the this is the fun part, right? This is the fun part. So at the age of seventeen, Cool Kalane uh, is forced to single-handedly defend his home, Ulster, from an army of Konakt in the in the story of the Tainbow Kulane. The Queen of Mebd, the Queen Mebd of 
Konak has mounted the invasion to steal the stud bull Don Kulain from the king, and Cool Kulain allows her to take Ulster by surprise because he is with a woman when he should be watching the border. So, Cool uh, Kulain's hanging out with a lady. Uh, this queen rolls up with an army and says, we're going to be taking stuff. Uh, we're going to be taking everything, especially the cows, lots of cows. Uh, the men of Ulster uh, at this time in the story have been disabled by a curse. They have offended a god. Uh, the gods have cursed them. So Kukulain is forced to be the only guy that can really do anything about it. The curse is essentially that all men are going to have periods. And this, these periods are going to be so intense. Uh, they insulted a female goddess or, or one of the goddesses. Uh, and because of this, um, she gives them all man periods which is kind of humorous in a way. But they're so disabled by the curse that none of the fighting men can do anything. They can't fight. They can't stand up. They're, they're, all, they're, all, just in, they're all just bedridden, eating chocolate. Uh, so Cool Kulain, uh is the only guy for the job. So he is forced to prevent Med's army from advancing further by invoking the right of single combat. And this is where our story kind of picks up. Uh, cool Kulain begins cutting off this army at, at these fjords. Uh, every single place, he, he just kind of crops up in places in the road and blocks the road and says, you cannot pass unless you defeat me in single combat. Uh, now, at this, at this point in the story, um, you know, it's become clear that Cool Kulain is kind of a big, he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of, kind of a badass. And these guys know it. But because of the fact that they're all warriors, because of because of this time that we're in, uh, they have no choice but to accept this challenge. Even if they know they're going to die, they have to accept it. They cannot let themselves be dishonored. So Kukulain puts these armies in this vast army in a massive, massive disadvantage because now they can't overwhelm him. They're honor-bound uh, to fight him one-on-one. Uh, they got to send their best guys in over and over again to fight him. So uh, before one of these these combats, a young woman comes to him claiming to be the daughter of a king and offers him her love, but he refuses her. Uh, the woman uh, reveals herself to be the goddess, the Morrigan, who is not happy that Kukulain decided he didn't want to have a, uh, a fun time with her, and she attacks him uh, as a result of this, uh, taking on various animal forms while he's engaged in combat against the mighty warrior Lachmofamous. Uh, she tries to trip him, disguised as an eel, but he breaks her ribs. Uh, she disguises herself as a wolf and tries to stampede some cattle across the ford, but he puts her eye out with a Finally, she shows up as a heifer at the head of a stampede, but he breaks her leg with another stone. So after Kukulain defeats Locke, uh, Morgan appears to him as an old woman milking a cow with the same injuries he'd given her in her animal forms, and she gives him three drinks of milk, and with each drink, he blesses her healing her wounds. Now, after one particularly arduous combat, Kukulain finally gets wounded. Now, up to this point, Kukulain has killed dozens and dozens and dozens of guys. Uh, he, he's been in single combat against all these guys. He's using his head uh, at this point. Um, but he's been, he's been severely injured, and now he's been visited by Lou, uh, the god Lou, who tells him, that he's his father, he heals his wounds, and when he wakes up and sees uh, the boy troop of Ima and Maka have attacked the Konak army and have been slaughtered, he has his most spectacular wrist ride yet. So remember, at the beginning of the story, there was this boy troop that Kukulain was hanging out with. These were boys 
who were training in the art of war, but they were novices. They're young men. They're not yet warriors. Uh, they're the only ones besides Kukulain is hurt. He's missing. And this army that he's been keeping at bay by himself is now running roughshod over the, over the land. These boys step up and they attempt to stop this army from wreaking havoc on the countryside while Kukulain's out of commission. This has disastrous consequences for them because they are novices. This army tears right through them, just wipes them all out. Uh, and Kukulain loses it because he knew the, he knew these boys. He knew they were all just you know ten year old, you know eleven year old boys. And more importantly, he knew who all these young men were. He had played with them as 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 you know he'd hung out with them. He'd watched them grow up. Uh, so he is forced into his reestrad. He loses control. Uh, and according to the Tain, the first warp spasm seized Cool Kalane and made him into a monstrous thing, hideous and shapeless, unheard of. His shanks and joints, every knuckle and angle and organ from head to foot, shook like a tree in the flood or breed in the storm. And his body made a furious twist inside his skin, so that his feet and shin switched to the rear and his heels and calves switched to the front. So he's becoming a monstrosity. Uh, in this battle, Fury... Um, Kukulain just absolutely loses it uh, He attacks the army He says to heck with this uh, Single combat stuff uh, He kills hundreds of men And then builds a wall out of their corpses uh, In this case uh, We have a situation in which We now have a, a guy who can Who can essentially just Disfigure himself Go crazy And kill over a hundred guys uh, Making a wall out of their corpses Now his father his foster father, Fergus McRoy, now in exile in Meb's court, is sent to face Kukulain and agrees to yield uh, as a result of this. Now, Fergus is this great warrior as well. After he kills a couple hundred guys, uh, the queen says, it's time for us to stop messing around with this guy. Okay, he's crazy. We've got to send somebody in there uh, that can take him. Uh, Fergus is our guy. Now, Fergus is a really good fighter. Uh, the story talks about his great prowess, his great skill. He knows Kukulain, and they think that this is the guy that's going to give him an edge. So when they arrive uh, to meet each other, uh, Kukulain and Fergus have a discussion. Uh, and they agree, Kukulain agrees to yield so long as Fergus agrees to return the favor the next time they meet. Uh, finally, he fights the three. Uh, so they fight it out. Uh, at this point in time, Kukulain's pretty badly hurt, uh, and Fergus lets him, you know, still, though, can't overpower him. Uh, so uh, Kukulain lets him go. Uh, he beats Fergus like a whip mule, and he lets Fergus leave. Now, finally, he fights another grueling three-day duel with his best friend and foster brother, Ferdiad, at a Ford uh, that was named uh, Othiadi, which is Artie County, loose after him, uh, kind of named after Ferdiad. Uh, so Ferdiad at this point has been kind of picked up by the king, uh, by the Queen Meb. She's like, you're my, you're my new guy. Fergus failed. Maybe you can do it. Uh, but it doesn't work out. Uh, again, Kukulain whips, whips Ferdiad just like he whipped Fergus. 
Uh, at this point, eventually, the Ulstermen are finally able to recover from their curse. Uh, they rise uh, and they assemble an army. And we have a final battle. Kulkalane stays on the sidelines uh, as he's recuperating from his wounds until he sees Fergus advancing and knows that Fergus will be a game changer. He himself enters the enters the battle and confronts Fergus, uh, who, remembering that that uh, Kulkalane let him go, uh, decides to withdraw from the battle. Connacht's um, other allies panic uh, when Fergus and his guys leave, and Mebd is forced to retreat. Uh, and at this inter- inopportune time, uh, humorously enough, Meb reaches her time of the month, uh, and Kukulain, uh so she has to leave. Fergus forms a guard around her. Kukulain breaks through as she's dealing with it, and he has her at his mercy. He spares her, however, because he does not think it's right to kill women and guards her retreat back to Konak. Uh, so we have several several scenarios in which Kukulain, uh has a few more, he has a few more, uh, you know, little, little adventures here. Uh, and eventually Kukulain, uh, you know, has, you know, he, he eventually has to uh, reach an end and what better end uh, than this. So we have Kukulain has defeated, uh, he's, he's pushed out Meb's army, and Meb is absolutely furious. She's been embarrassed. She's been, she's been embarrassed. She's been defeated in battle. Her army's devastated. Her men are demoralized. And, and she lost wealth. She lost all this prestige. And she almost lost her life. She's a little upset. She goes home with her guys, and she says, we got to kill this guy. we got to kill Kukulain. He's got to die. Nobody disrespects me like that. We're going to rub him out. I want his family dead, that kind of thing. She goes home and begins to wonder what she can do. Now, Mebs begins to conspire with one of Kukulain's sons, Lugade, uh, and Eric, son of Kebra and Yvgar, and the sons of others that Kukulain had killed. So, uh, she gets together with a bunch of guys that essentially don't like Kukulain, which is a lot of people. He's killed a lot of people at this point. Uh, and basically she says, let's get rid of these guys. Let's get rid of this guy. He's he's a problem. Uh, so what can we do? Now, they decide they're going to try to figure out how to draw him out to his death. Now, uh, Kukulain had made a, a, a pat called a geese. These are taboo, taboos that are placed upon oneself. These are uh, things that you have to have to adhere to. Uh, and it was believed that that these packs that you make, the geese, are made with the gods. And this was what uh, Kukulain had done early in his life uh, when when learning under Cathbad the druid. The druid told him he needed to make packs with the gods uh, to ensure his success. Right. Uh, you know, you make these pats with the gods, you honor it, and the gods are going to watch out for you. So up to this point, there's been, now Kukulain being the lug that he is doesn't really understand it, but he does it anyway. Um, now, Kukulain had a geese, which included a ban against eating dog meat, uh, which, uh, you know, he, he 
he had basically made this made this pact with the gods that said, you know, no matter hungry, how hungry I get, I won't eat dogs. Uh, you know, which I mean, kind of kind of feeds into the whole fact that you know his kind of his name kind of means the Hound of Kool Aid, and he killed a dog. So this is one of those scenarios in which it's kind of an ironic sort of uh, situation. Now. In early Ireland, there was a powerful general taboo against refusing hospitality. Uh, People find out that he's made this pet, that he's not going to eat dog meat. And, of course, uh, he, as he's in his travels, an old woman offers him a meal of dog meat. And he has no choice but to break his geese. In this way, he becomes spiritually weakened for the fight that lies ahead of him. Now, Lugade, his son, his own son... Uh, who, who is not in good good standing with Kukulain, has three magical spears made, and it is prophesied that a king will fall by each of them. Now, uh, with the first, he they fa- finally managed to get uh, Kukulain, uh to go into battle against them. They challenge him. They refuse. They come back with their army, and they refuse to leave until Kukulain comes out. He arrives, uh, and it's a trap. It's Cool Kalane versus the world, and this time uh, he ain't got a he ain't got a prayer. Uh, the first throw of the spear by Lugade kills uh, Cool Kalane's co-pilot in the chariot, Leg, who is a king of chariot drivers. The second kills Cool Kalane's horse, Leith Maka, who is a king of horses. You know, so he's got a king of horses that he's riding. Uh, and finally, the third hits Cool Kalane himself and mortally wounds him uh, because of his. His severe injury, though, Kukulain, uh is unable to stand. For the first time in his life, it looks like he's going to finally, things aren't going to work out the way uh, that he wanted them to. And he realizes that I'm in a lot of trouble, and this could be the end. But defiant as always, Kukulain res- refuses to stay down. He refuses to die on his knees. Uh, so defiant of the gods uh, and of the Morrigan who had said she would bring him low that he ties himself to a standing stone and resolves to die on his feet facing his enemies. Uh, Now, due to his ferocity, even when he was so near death, it's only when a raven lands on his shoulder that his enemies believe he is dead. Lugate approaches and cuts off his head, but as he does so, uh, the hero light burns around Kukulain, and his sword falls from his hand and cuts Lugate's hand off. Uh, the light only disappears after his right hand, his sword arm, is cut from his body. Uh, so one one individual, Connell Sarnak, had sworn that if Kukulain died before him, he would avenge him before sunset. And when he hears that Kukulain is dead, he pursues Lugate. Uh, as Lugate has lost a hand, Connell fights him with one hand tucked into his belt, but he only beats him after his horse, horse takes a bite out of Lugate's side. Uh, he then also kills Eric uh, and takes his head back to Tara, where Eric's sister, Ockel, dies of grief for her brother. Uh, so this is how Kukulain meets his end. Um, he, he meets his end standing in battle, tied to a stone. Uh, surrounded by his enemies, enemies that he made, killing people, 
uh, sort of indiscriminately. So what does this story tell us about what's valued uh, in this particular culture? What, is, what, is, what does this story tell us about what's valued in early Irish culture? Well, the first thing that it tells us is that if we look at the fact that Kukulain is sort of invincible until he breaks his word, until he breaks uh, his bond with the gods, this taboo, this geese that he was supposed to uphold. Uh, so there's definitely, first off, right off the bat, we can tell that what's one thing that's particularly valued is keeping your word, keeping your promises. You, if you make a pact, you make a vow, you keep it. Uh, but, but that's not the only thing. One of the other major lessons we can take away from this, and particularly, particularly one that I think is the most important, is that, uh, you know, we can't be afraid of life, but we also can't just rush headlong into situations without assessing the situations. And now I know some people would say, well, that's, yeah, duh, you don't want to do that. Uh, but, you know, life has a way of moving so quickly today. We don't often take the time to really assess a situation, you know, Think about all the times we've sort of jumped the gun, right? We've uh, we've rushed into situations not knowing uh, the full the full story. Uh, think about uh, how we how we deal with people, uh, how how we deal with uh, with people that we know. Uh, how many situations have we misread and just sort of ran ran in and and made a snap you know a snap leg decision right there? Uh, this is our oh. Somebody's calling in. Hello. Yeah, hello. How are you? I'm good. So bareback facts, huh? Do you go bareback when you're fucking your boyfriend? Well, this is uh, this is my uh, my show. I, I I called it that. Uh, my cousin actually uh, coined the coined the name of the show. I I um, rather like it. Um, you got any questions for the show or? Oh, okay. So you're out. All right. Well, guys, I'm not uh, not really sure what that was about, but let's let's get back to what I was talking about. Uh, that was a little bit of an interruption there. Uh, so we when we uh, when we look at this situation here with Kukulain, one of the lessons that we can we can take away from this is that we shouldn't rush into situations, right? Uh, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't jump the gun. We have to give people a chance. Uh, we take this back to the beginning of the story. Uh, in which in which a young Kukulain, uh who hasn't earned his name yet, uh, rushes onto a field where other boys are training uh, in the art of war, and because he doesn't know the custom of announcing himself beforehand, he he could have died. He very could have he very well could have died. It's only because he's sort of touched by the gods uh, that he's able to get through this. Uh, and we we don't all have that uh, luxury, right? We're not all sort of chosen by the gods, right? We're not all sort of chosen by divine powers. Um, and so this is uh, one of those situations in which we can learn a lot from this uh, particular moment. We have, we have a young man who's headstrong uh, and believes that he's invincible. He can take on the world. And he, and he rushes into a situation in which uh, he, if it isn't for... If it, if it isn't for the blessings that he has, uh, he very nearly could have lost, he very easily could have been killed. Uh, here we have a, young, a bunch of young men who are training to kill other men. Uh, and he runs in and sort of just thinks it's a game. Uh, and 
again, this is, this is one of those situations uh, that we, we can learn a lot from. We, we have to watch these situations very carefully. Uh, you know, it's important that we all take the time sometimes to step back and, and assess situations before we make, uh, make rash decisions. Rash decisions uh, can cost us not only time uh, and, and cause us to make mistakes, but they could very, near, they, they could very, very surely cost us uh, a whole lot more. Um, so this is one major lesson we can take from Kulkalain is despite the fact that Kulkalain is this great warrior, he makes, he makes his name famous in all the earth, he never listens uh, to advice. He, he causes so much mayhem because he doesn't listen to advice. Um, you know, we didn't, I didn't really touch on it that much, but in the situation of the mayor, uh, you know, the wife that he wants, uh, all of his buddies are like, listen, you can have any of these other women. You don't need this emayor lady, all right? You don't need a mayor. Uh, Forgall doesn't like you. He's going to try to have you killed. Uh, you just, you know, uh, you might be great, cool claim, but this is a bad idea. Uh, and, you know, yeah, we can say, we look back on it and we say, well, it worked out for him. I mean, it worked out for him. He gets the girl. Uh, he beats Forgall. But it still results in the deaths of 24 other guys who had nothing to do with it. Uh, these other 24 men that Forgall, that are in Forgall's castle that Kukulain kills, they're just doing their job guarding his home. Uh, but Kukulain kills them all. Now, this wouldn't have happened if Kukulain would have decided, you know what, this, this Forgall guy, he's a jerk. He doesn't want me hanging out with his daughter. And clearly his daughter is, you know, maybe she, maybe she likes me, maybe she doesn't, but this could be a problem. Uh, he could have started a war over this woman, uh, but he doesn't. You know, he ends up killing all these guys, and it works out for him. But again, it's because of these extraordinary circumstances. Borgall, uh, you know, is a great warrior. He's got all these men-at-arms to protect him. Uh, and if it hadn't been for the fact that Kukulain is sort of blessed by the gods, that he's, he's essentially the son of a god, uh, it was, it doesn't work out for him. You know, he probably runs into this castle and gets killed. And all because he's not thinking things through. He's not listening to advice. Uh, so another lesson that we can take out of this is you're, everybody in everybody today has someone that they can take some advice from. Don't be afraid to listen to wise counsel uh, because there might be somebody around you in your circle that can give you uh, that can give you uh, better insights. That can give you another, a fresh look at things. So don't be afraid to take a fresh look. Don't be afraid of criticism because criticism can lead you down a path that makes you a better you. Uh, and despite the fact that, you know, Kukling doesn't really listen uh, to this criticism, he does, he does listen uh, to his friends later. Uh, in the situation with... Uh, with his uh, his his wife, Emer. Uh, now, Kukulain, we talked about it throughout the story. He's got all these girls. He's got all these lovers, right? He's got all these ladies. Uh, but Emer is is content to let this happen. You know, she's she's content to let him sort of run around and do what he wants until he falls in love with the daughter uh, or with the wife of. Manan Maklir. Now, Manan Maklir is a god. 
and a mayor doesn't want her her husband running around with the daughter of a god. Um, now, Kukulain goes and defends this woman from, from being killed by, by these other gods, the three Fomerians who want to control the sea. He agrees to help her, but at the cost of marriage. She agrees reluctantly, and they fall in love when they meet. Now, Mananan knows that their relationship is doomed because Kukulain is mortal and Font is a fairy, uh, and Kukulain's presence would destroy them. So Emer, meanwhile, tries to kill her rival, but she sees the strength of Font's love for Kukulain and decides to give him up to her. Uh, Font talks to Kukulain, and she says, listen, listen. Emer loves you so much, she's even willing to give you up. I'm an immortal. It's not going to work out. You're going to die one day. I know you think you're in love with me. But Emer doesn't think she's in love with you. She's proven she's in love with you by giving you up. And Kuklain, for the first time in his life, listens to reason and leaves. Uh, he and Emer drink a potion to wipe the entire sort of hurtful affair under the rug. And for the most part, they're pretty happy uh, together um, because they have one another. And Kukulain has finally realized that there are some, sometimes, sometimes it's important to listen to wise counsel. Um, so in this situation, for the, for the first time, uh, we have Kukulain actually really one of the few times in, in any mythology about Kukulain. He listens to wise counsel. He listens to reason. And despite the fact that, you know, he kind of runs roughshod over all these people that he's fighting, uh, and he kind of just runs headstrong uh, and headlong into danger, uh, this is a really interesting situation because it's in this matter of the heart that Kukulain's able to listen to reason and see, see the big picture. Uh, so Kukulain has uh, there's loads and loads of things we can learn from the Tango Kukulain. Um, but predominantly, the, the, the major themes that I want to capture for you guys is this. Is this. Um, don't be afraid to listen to wise counsel. Don't be afraid of criticism. Because criticism uh, can be constructive. Uh, use that criticism to be a better you than you could be without it. Uh, you know, I don't know who the individual was who just called a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, and I don't know, um, you know, what their intentions were calling and sort of, you know, making uh, inappropriate comments and what have you. But you know what? Um, they were listening to this show, right? Uh, so whoever you are, uh, thanks for calling in. Thanks for taking time out of your day to invest in my show. Uh, you know, comments aside, hey, you were listening. I appreciate it. Um you can't uh, – so with that, criticism. Criticism can be great. It can be very constructive. It can make you a better you. Uh, it can help you learn from mistakes, and it also is great to have that fresh perspective. So don't be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid to take on a fresh perspective. You never know when somebody else might see something you missed. Uh, that's one. Number two, don't, don't be so eager – uh, to make a knee-jerk reaction to things. Don't, don't jump into things without being prepared. Be ready to listen. Be open to listening uh, to other people. Uh, be open to listening to the whole picture, the whole story. Take, 
take the time before you make big decisions to really assess them. Um, don't, don't rush into things headlong because while it might not ultimately lead to your death, it could just put you in an uncomfortable spot. And the last thing that I want to talk about is resolve. Um, one of the major things uh, in, cool, in this story about Cool Colleen, this mighty hero, is the idea of resolve. Now, everything uh, towards, the, towards the middle and the end of this story, everything that we know about Cool Colleen is leading us to believe that eventually death is going to come take him. There's no way that this guy gets away with all this stuff he's made, all these enemies, all of this, all these enemies. He's upset one of the gods. He refused a goddess. Uh, she's, she's angry. He, he angered a queen who's got a vast army at her disposal. Uh, he's killed a lot of people's brothers and, and fathers, and they're not happy with him. We know this by stories, in, by nearing the end of the story, we know that Cool Kalane's made more enemies than he has friends. And his friends just ain't going to be enough. Uh, so at this point, we've got a man who, despite his incredible strength, is destined for death. He's destined for failure. And instead of running from this, from this destiny, because... You have to know that when Kukulain is drawn into this battle, he knows he's surrounded. And while you could argue, well, he's been killing all these guys all this time, there's no way that he thought he would lose. Kukulain knew that when he broke his geese, when he broke his word, he knew that the protection wasn't there anymore, that, that things were different. He knew that going into this battle that if he got hurt, he was done. But he goes in anyway. He goes in anyway, not, not just because he's this great warrior. He goes in anyway because, number one, it's his duty. It is his duty to protect his country. It's his duty to protect the people uh, that he's sworn his loyalty to. When this army shows up again, he is going to make sure that he is there. Uh, it's his duty. Uh, so he, he, he hears the call and answers. Number two, it's not just the fact that's his duty. He is not ready to die. He's not, it's not that he's resolved to die that he shows up to this battle, and he doesn't think that he's invincible. He realizes that death's a possibility. But even though death's a possibility, he goes into the battle and says, you know what? I re- I'm going to go out as spitefully as I can. I'm not, going out, I'm not going out weak. I'm not going out, you know, begging on my knees. It's not going to happen. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to run from these guys. They might kill me, but I'm going to make one hell of a final stand. And number three, even after he's mortally wounded, he's been hit, he's been hurt, he's bleeding, and up to now he's been injured in every way, shape, and form we can imagine. He's, he's been in all these battles. He's been, he's been torn to bits. Now he's been hit with a spear. He can't even stand on his own. And as a final act of defiance against destiny, against fate, against 
the gods, against man, against whatever theme you want to capture, he ties himself to a stone and keeps on going. And so ferocious is he that even when he's close to death, it's only when the carrion crows start falling in on him that guys are even remotely sure that they can get anywhere near him without getting killed. They are not sure of him being dead on his feet until the crows come in. Cool Colleen's resolve. So strong is his resolve that not only does he fight to the bitter end, he dies on his feet and refuses to go it alone. That's what we can take away from the story of Cool Colleen. That is what we should value. Not, not maybe... Not so much the fact that he's killed all these people. Not so much the fact uh, that he had magical weapons or he had, you know, super strength or that he could shapeshift a little bit. It's resolve. Resolve is what allows Kool Kalein to meet his destiny and to meet it honorably, courage. For those of you that tuned in and, and listened, I want to thank you all. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to give you guys some uh, some source material to go look at. First off, I want to recommend that you guys go ahead and read the Tambo Kulain. Uh, pretty, <clears throat> it's uh, it's essentially the story we just read, but it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, there's there's multiple um, versions of it, but not hard to get. Um, you might also uh, take a look at uh, some of the pieces. Uh, written by William Butler Yeats, who wrote a couple pieces on the legend. Uh, he's got a couple plays on Vile ba- Strand, uh, The Green Helmet, At the Hawkswell, uh, The Only Jealousy of Emer, and The Death of Kulkalane, uh, as well as a poem called Kulkalane's Fight with the Sea. Uh, so you might take a look at these, uh, and you might also take a look at Lady Gregory's uh, version of the story, Kulkalane of Mirathamen, uh, which uh, paraphrased some of the original stories, uh, but uh, kind of gets rid of some of the more violent content, focuses more or less on, uh, you know, sort of the more mystical side of things. Um, but that's that's a good good start for you guys to just look at the mythology. Uh, if you are looking for more on it, I would recommend taking a look at uh, Thomas Kinsella's The Tain. Uh, you could look at Sierra and Carson's The Tain, a new translation of The Tain Bowl Kulain. Uh, probably the best version of it you're going to get your hands on uh, that's translated, you know, fairly well. Um, not all translations come across um, come across well. Uh, some of them are done better than others. So you've you got to be careful with that. Um, for some more interesting uh, reading for you guys, you might take a look at John Carey's uh, Cool as an Ailing Hero, uh, Elizabeth A. Gray's Lou and Cool King and Warrior, uh, and finally, uh, Joseph Falaki Nagy, uh, Heroic Destinies in the Magna Macrata of Finn and Cool So, uh, all good stuff for you guys to look at uh, if you're interested in. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. This has been the Bareback Facts, and I will be back next week.
with something new, something fresh, and something you can all enjoy. Thanks a lot, everybody. You enjoy the rest of your weekend.